Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. Glad to have you with us this morning to receive God's Word. Uh, wanted to share some things with you. Advent is a very hopeful time. And most of you know that I had a former life as a journalist. And so as we go into December, uh, I always like to scan the headlines. I'm always scanning the headlines. But there's a few that jumped out to me this week. So let's take a look, shall we? Here's our first one. Recession akin to 1969 to 1970 awaits U.S. next year. Isn't that hopeful? Well, don't worry. There's something to contradict it. Latest terrible news for the stock market. The economy is booming again. Okay. I know, guys. Okay, let's go away from the economy. I know. Let's turn to politics. Well, you laugh. You don't sound very hopeful. Here, I'll tell you what, though. You'll all probably agree with this next headline. That seems unlikely, right? Let's try it. Dear elected officials, this was an op-ed. Stop infighting and do your jobs. Are you hopeful that'll happen anytime soon? No? Oh, my goodness. And finally, this was concerning to me. I don't know if you saw this from The Guardian about our Christian brothers and sisters over in the UK. Um, calls grow to disestablish Church of England as Christians become a minority. Declining church members, declining social influence, even if it's not in our country or our own church body, not hopeful. Now, I know most of you probably don't turn to news outlets for your daily charge or scoop or whatever of hope, for your daily dose, you know, of hope. But we do often base our hope, our confidence on human endeavor, on how human endeavor things are trending. So the government, the stock market, our bank account, many of the material things in life, in all of these, many times our hope and our confidence rests on growth or decline. Right? How things are trending. Paul would point us away from these things this morning as he writes to the, his letter to the church in Rome. And he would steer us away from human endeavor and to what God is doing and what God has promised. Things that will actually bring hope to your life. And indeed, things that will leave us abounding in hope. So Paul begins this section that we had today that you heard from chapter 15, writing about the Holy Scriptures. My question to you is, do you turn to the Scriptures for your daily dose of hope? Maybe your hourly dose of hope. I think many times we think that the Scriptures were written for someone else. For people of another time. Doesn't have anything to say to us today. Offers nothing for our life each and every day. Paul would correct that thinking. We need God's Word daily. right? Not a couple of times a month. Not once a week. We need it daily. 
Paul writes, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance, and that's important, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Right? If we don't have God's Word, we don't have that living hope abiding in us. Again, you might think that the Bible doesn't have to offer you anything for today, each and every day. But think closely. You have doubts and fears, just like those to whom the Bible is written to and for in that original context. We make the same daily mistakes and idolize the material like they did. We pick the habit of living beyond faith, resting comfortably in our sin, or on the other side, thinking ourselves beyond the need for God's grace, just like they did. We carry the sinful nature just like they did. We need God's Word daily, just like they did. God has given you in the Scriptures a source of true hope, right? When the material, when human endeavors, when things are trending in ways that disturb you, when the government frustrates you, when the stock market tanks, you always have hope. You always have hope. Because God's love for you and His promises in Christ Jesus remain guaranteed and certain. They do not waver. They are steadfast. I know. The world tells you and you've heard things like this. Hope is what we cling to when reality has left us with nothing else. Have you heard something similar to that? Hope is what we cling to when reality has left us with nothing else. Let me tell you about reality. Okay? Jesus is real. It's as plain as I can make it to you. Jesus is real. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's alive. Jesus lived tangibly on this earth at a specific time and a specific place. We call it the scandal of the particular. What he did in time, in human history, was seen and talked and written about. It's real. That's why Advent's so special, because we really focus on this coming. Jesus coming in the flesh. His first Advent, anticipating his return. And John, the disciple, the apostle, writes this. It's very tangible. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us in the flesh. That which we have seen and that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul, who wrote today's epistle, also experienced the risen Christ tangibly. 
Paul joyously, joyously proclaims Jesus risen from the dead, not based on possibility, not based on vain hope or wishes or feel-good notions, but on certainty. Paul proclaims the gospel as we know it, as an accurate description in human history and Christ's place in it. So he writes to encourage the young pastor Timothy a confession, this confession. He was manifested in the flesh, just like John said, right? Real, fully human, fully God and fully human, manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on the world, taken up in glory. Those things that you confess in the creed, those are real. Part of the challenge is that, again, those things that we still wrestle with, those doubts, those things like that. Part of the challenge is for the church in Rome that at the time Paul wrote his letter, the New Testament is, well, as you can guess, really, really new. And so it's easy to look at some of the Old Testament things about God intervening in human history for his people Israel and thinking, well, what do the scriptures have to do with Gentile Christians like us, Greco-Roman Christians, Hellenists? Like Rome, we might think, again, the Scriptures were written for someone else, for people of a different culture. Right? People of a different culture. But Paul quotes the Scriptures to d demonstrate that God's activity includes all people. The nations. Right? The nations. The Gentiles. The goyim. The people beyond the state of Israel so that they might have the faith of Israel. The true faith. Not grounded in human endeavors, but grounded in the one true God and His care and His love for humanity and His constant intervention in human history. I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a lot of talk about Gentiles in today's epistle lesson. You know, the Gentiles, that's you. Look at how many times in today's text that Paul shows God's mission to the nations, to all people, to the Gentiles. And it's not a specific time, a specific place, or people. This promise is for all people of all times, all places. This promise is for you. God's promises in Christ transcend human borders, ideologies, genealogies, times, places, all of it. And all human endeavor. It is true that Christ has His root, according to the flesh, in David. In the patriarchs. From whom He has arisen. Salvation comes from the Jews. It is true. But according to the Spirit, Jesus Himself is the root from which the universal church arises. As it is written, here we go, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. 
And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. In him. In him. Is that where your hope is grounded? I pray to God it is. Luther distinguishes between, yeah, we got, what is this hope? Right? Yeah, I, hope, what are we talking about here? Luther distinguishes between faith and hope. Here's what he writes. Faith and hope are different affections. Okay? For faith is not hope and hope is not faith. And yet, because of the great affinity that exists between them, it is impossible to separate them. By God-given faith, we begin our spiritual life. Right? God has to work. God works that in us. And by God-given hope, we continue it. And by revelation, that is God revealing Himself to us through His Word, we shall obtain the whole. We receive both. Faith and hope. Meanwhile, as long as we live, we preach the Word and spread the knowledge of Christ among others because we believe. That's part of our hope. We've got to share it. When we do this, what happens? When we show our hope to the world, we suffer persecution. So we suffer. But we are buoyed up by hope. Why? Because God is real. Jesus is real. His promises are real. And He fulfills them. Luther says, Scripture exhorting us with the sweetest and most consoling promises which faith has taught us. In this way, hope springs up and increases within us that we, through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That is why Paul, not without cause, joins patient in tribulation, suffering. Joins patient in tribulation with hope. For by these, hope is stirred up. And then he says something really f profound. Hope is nothing else than spiritual courage. Hope is nothing else than spiritual courage. We look around the world. We see things falling apart. We still know that God's promises are there and are true and are steadfast. Hope is nothing else than spiritual courage, while faith is spiritual prudence. Uh, that means looking ahead with thoughts toward the future. And it is a glorious future. It is a perfect future for us at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We waver. We falter when we place our hope in things over and above Jesus. It's as simple as that. We don't look to things that trend up and down, to human endeavors that come and go. We celebrate what God has given and what He will never take away. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, fellowship with Him through His Son. We don't look to things like finances or numbers or trends or whatever for our ultimate confidence and hope. 
We share Jesus. He is our hope. And we share Him with everyone. When we fail to do that, we fail to be the church. So Paul encourages the early church and his word is just as relevant for us as it was for them to study the Scriptures which point to Christ and then share that good news of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Scriptures and the hope of the nations, the hope of everyone. Paul writes, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Through His Word, God grants you true hope. Hope in His living Son. He pours out His Holy Spirit who works faith and through that faith, hope abounds in you. If your hope is lacking, refocus your attention. Remember the God of hope. Spend more time in reading, marking, inwardly digesting God's promises for you. You have a God of hope. That's what Paul calls Him in today's reading. Who is the source of true and abiding hope. No maybes, no could-bes, but absolutelys. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.